When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I already worked from home, but I really started to struggle um, with my sleep. And I think it may have been a culmination of my husband working from home as well, uh, reduced social activity and then worry about COVID-19 for friends and family and what that means from a health and, um, and financial perspective. And um, yeah, I, I just found myself awake for hours, not getting any sleep. Um, and then the issue became less about um, not sleeping and and more about just being tired and, and not having any focus throughout the day. I now go to bed very late and actually struggle to get to sleep once I go to bed and not looking forward to when I have to start setting an alarm again. Working at home and not having to commute, I'm getting more sleep at night and consequently I'm feeling fresher. And I suffer from sleep terrors. I usually have them at least once a week. Sometimes I can't remember when I've had them. When I have a sleep terror, it's usually about two o'clock in the morning, roughly 1.5 hours after I initially go to sleep. When I have a sleep terror, I usually stand up in my room and try to pull things down from my walls or open the curtains. So I've been sleeping generally quite well or at least no worse than before. And uh, last night I had, uh, well, three very vivid dreams, but one of them, uh, I was, um, I won a lucky draw and with someone else, I was allowed to play in a high level NFL American football game. Hello and welcome to Alone Together, a coronavirus podcast. And if you haven't guessed already, on today's episode, we'll be discussing sleep. I'm Dan McLaughlin, speaking to you from Salford. And I'm Matt Millard, recording from Birmingham. For many people, getting 40 winks during the lockdown just hasn't been the same. Whether that's experiencing very vivid dreams during the night, or seeing our sleep patterns disrupted. Coming up, we speak to sleep experts and what's been going on with our slumbers. Later on, I speak to Professor Mike Blaygrove from Swansea University Sleep Laboratory about our dreams. Nope, not our aspirations, but those images and situations we conjure up in our heads as we doze off. And Dr. Megan Crawford from the Sleep Research Unit at the University of Strathclyde discusses insomnia and tips of how to combat it. Now, we heard at the start of this episode the different experiences from our listeners as they hit the psych during the lockdown. So, what about you, Matt? I noticed any changes? Um... No, nothing huge. I, I have to say, I, I have not overly been struggling with sleep. I think the main thing is where we're obviously we're working from home at the moment, and where I'm set up, my little yeah, my little home podcast studio is actually in the bedroom. So having that def, yeah, having that difference between work and then going to bed is something that I'm finding quite difficult, especially if we're you know working late on an edit. It's then finding that time to turn off and slow down and relax before going to bed. I think that's kind of the only real thing that I've been struggling with. So 
it's having to tell myself, to, you know, to stop and, uh, you know, find that time away from screens and, and relax before going to sleep. What about yourself, Dan? It's, it's exactly the same for me, that sort of work-life balance where my work life is seeping into my dreams at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the dreams I had, uh, this was before we recorded an interview, um, not with Boris Johnson, but the dream was about Boris Johnson. I nice. must have been ap apprehensive about the interview. So I dreamt that um, I was trying to interview Boris Johnson using a microwave as a phone and being shocked that it didn't work. Wow. <laughs> um, I've also made the mistake of um, downloading a sleep recording app. Um, so I know that I'm having bad dreams because it's recording me having bad dreams. So if you look back at the recording, as well as my biblical snoring, which <sighs> I'm surprised my flatmate hasn't called an exorcist yet, but what um, one of the sleep recordings had me sort of addressing a monster in the room, but being very polite. I was going, oh, hello, I'm sorry. Um, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> now, in real life, I swear quite a lot. So I was being desperately polite in my nightmare. Wow. Well, there you go. Anyway, increasingly, more and more people are remembering their dreams, and this could be down to the lockdown. Earlier, I spoke to Mark Blaygrove, um, professor of psychology at Swansea University, about his research into the phenomenon at their sleep laboratory. Can you tell us what your research, what your field involves? Originally, my research involved the relationship between sleep and memory, and also sleep and dreaming. And what happens when we're asleep is that we consolidate our memories. We put our memories together and make them more permanent and link them together. And the odd thing is that our dreams also seem to be doing that. And so many people think that our dreams are related to what our sleep is doing during the night. So that's been a lot of my research for, uh, that's been a lot of my research for several years. At the start of this episode, we're going to hear different people share their experiences with dreaming and their own sleep patterns. Your own research shows that sharing and listening to other people's dreams can actually be good for you. Yes, that's right. For many, for many years, we'd looked at the effects on an individual of sharing their own dreams. So they start to see aspects of their life in a, in a, often in a metaphorical way. They get metaphors from their dreams about their own lives. But then we notice that when they tell the dreams to other people, this has an effect on other people as well as, as on the dreamer themselves. And other people start to gain empathy towards them and understand more about their life. I know it's quite a big question, this, but what, why do we dream? What, what's going on in our bodies, in our minds? We're not actually sure about why we dream. There's two possibilities. One of them is that the brain is processing emotions and processing memories during the night and our dreams tell us what the brain is doing. That's one possibility. The other possibility is we just dream about what happened in recent days, especially what's emotional in recent days, because our imagination just can't turn off or doesn't turn off. And so there's two types of, there is therefore two types of theory, but both theories accept the fact that our dreams are often quite emotional and our dreams picture our waking life and the emotional side of our waking life. Myself and many others 
have reported sort of very vivid, lucid dreams during this lockdown. Why is this happening? What's what's going on? The main reason that people are having quite vivid dreams during the lockdown is it's a combination of the fact that some people are able to sleep much longer. And so they're able to wake up, say, during rapid eye movement sleep later on in the night and later on in the morning, really. And they've had a longer night than they would normally, a longer sleep. And so more chance to dream because you're more likely to have long dreams in the morning. Another part of this is that we're having quite emotional lives during the day. For a lot of people, it's quite negatively emotional. But other people, it may be more positive if they can spend more time with with family as a result. And our dreams tend to picture our waking life emotions. And so if life is more emotional, they may have more emotional dreams, which may hence be more memorable. There is then another feature going on, which is that if people are waking up, say, without an alarm clock and they don't have to rush out in the morning, then they may have more time to think about a dream that's happened and uh, try and bring it back and recall it and think about it. And they may even have the opportunity to tell it to other people, which again makes the dream more memorable. Yeah, because we, we don't tend to remember many dreams, do we? We, we? we might remember bits and bobs of it. Yes, that's true. I mean, one possibility is that we've actually evolved not to remember our dreams, that they, they, uh, our dreams disappear very quickly in the morning if we don't immediately think about them. And so there, there is this memory issue with them that you, you have to think about them very quickly to try and retrieve them. So on the whole, people don't remember their dreams or they forget them very, very quickly. That, that's, that's very true. And the interesting thing about current lockdown is the opportunity it's giving people to have time to remember dreams and to think about them. Have you been able to carry on your research in the lockdown? In fact, has, your, has the lockdown sparked more research? The lockdown has actually given us an opportunity for more research in a way that, that was rather unexpected. And what we've been able to do is to, what some people what some people around the world have been doing is to collect reports of dreams that people are having during lockdown. And there are methods of content analysis of dreams where you look at what the content of the dream is. You may, for example, be able to compare the dreams of healthcare workers to the dreams of people who are just at home and able to work at home to people who are not able to work because of the lockdown. So there is work like that within psychology that can be done of comparing large numbers of dreams. What I've done during the lockdown is that we have changed the way that we we do a certain art-science collaboration that I've been doing And what we've done in the past is at various venues in different countries and in in various places is I discuss the dream of someone for about an hour. And at the same time, the artist I work with paints the dream. And we've done that at venues where there's an audience and they can see on a massive projector the the dream being painted while I discuss the dream and find out from the person 
what it was in their waking life that caused the dream to happen. And that's quite a, an interesting process to do. And it's great having an audience there doing that. But what we've been able to do during the lockdown is to do this online. And so on Facebook Live, we've been having online sessions where I discuss the dream of a healthcare worker. So we've had them from Australia, America, uh, Great Britain, all, all over. And they discuss the dream for about 90 minutes or so while Judah Lockhart, the painter I work with, paints the dream. And we get a worldwide audience for this who join in with the discussion. I imagine that dreams can unlock certain things that you, maybe your conscious mind isn't quite a, aware of. It's sort of, and then when you dissect it or when you sort of present it in a different way, it can be sort of a very clear moment that wasn't clear before. Yes, that's, that's very true. That What first got me interested in this area was, was the idea of what happens when people discuss a dream at length with other people. And if... If you do so, you do, you do tend to, first of all, suddenly get aha moments where you realize, oh, that's where that bit of the dream came from. And that can point to certain things in waking life being important. But what you also get is instances where the dream gives you a metaphor about your waking life. So, for example, a nurse we were discussing with dreamt of being in a very nice party in a nice big house with lots of people who were all drinking wine and enjoying themselves and she was trying to warn them of COVID and they were all just ignoring her. Now, the important thing is the dream might not be, in a way, telling you something that you don't know about already, but it can depict it in a slightly different way. And it's that that can be so interesting to people. They get a, a new picture by which they can think about things often which they know about already, but it gives them a new picture, a new metaphor to think about an aspect of their life. Certain dreams, and I imagine especially during the lockdown, can be distressing, as you said, the nurse trying to warn people about the dangers of COVID. Is there anything we can do to sort of shield ourselves against these bad dreams? And at the moment, it may be difficult for people to stop bad dreams happening, unfortunately. There are ways of reducing the number of nightmares that people have, and these rely upon repeating the nightmare to yourself when you're awake, but trying to change part of it. But those are often not done when people have a current stress that's occurring. And so really, under the current situation, it, it may be that becoming more peaceful about current life circumstances may be the only way to affect the actual content of the dream. There are some people who think that if we can become lucid during a dream, that is, realize it's a dream and control it, that that way you could stop dreams being terrifying. But that's a very difficult skill uh, to which to learn. So that, that may not be an option for people. You said that there's still a lot to be um, found out about why we dream and what are the unknowns that you want to explore what what what's the next step to in terms of research what we've done over the last two years or so is because we've been having these these big events where we discuss a dream and paint it at the same time and we've realized in the last two years the effect that that has on, on us on me and the artist i work with plus also on the audience 
that there hasn't been a great deal of research on the effects of sharing dreams on other people. There has been a small amount of research in which couples discuss dreams with each other. And what's found is that there's a greater intimacy and a greater um, bonding between them as, as a result of that sharing and discussing the dream and discussing where the dream might have come from. But our research has been the first one to get people to assess how empathic they feel towards the other person. So how much do you understand the emotions of the other person? How much do you appreciate their life circumstances? And we found that the person who listens to the dream gets a greater level of empathy towards the other person. And so what we need to do now is find out what causes the greater empathy. And one option is it's because the dream is quite fictional. So it's like a piece of fiction, like a film, and you, you have to explore it with the other person. And there's a lot of research showing that reading or watching fiction increases your empathy towards the characters in the fiction, whether it's a film or a book or a play. And so it may very well be that dreams are doing a similar thing and they are a fiction you can explore. And that increases your empathy towards the dream sharer. But what we're now doing is working out, okay, what affects that? Does the length of the discussion mean that you have more empathy? Uh, does the level of emotion in a dream affect how much empathy you get? Uh, so that those are our next processes that we're going to be looking at. On the more personal level, have you been experiencing sort of vivid dreams during this lockdown? Yes, I have. I've had quite a few, actually. I've, I've had one in which I had to go out and look for food for the family. For some reason, we were living in another city and at a hotel, and I realized I had to go out and find uh, find um, and find and food for everybody. So th that was uh, one of mine. I also had a very strange one in which I dreamt I'd been given a, a present, a box of all these different activities you could do during lockdown, including table tennis bats. And the gruesome thing was that one of the activities, it was a small, quite old, black mobile phone. And around the mobile phone, it was written funeral preparation kit. Oh, so it was as if, it was a bit of a joke. It was as if it was a sort of a novelty that was making fun of the whole thing. But it was a bit of a, a gruesome one. And people can look on our website that we've got for our art science collaboration which is dreamsid.com. And on there, you can see the painting of it and you can see the, the table tennis bats in the middle of the present and this gruesome depiction that uh, we've got to be thinking about funerals at the same time as doing all of these playful activities with, with novelties. Well, thank you very much for, the, for, your, for your own discussion today about dreams. Is there anything you'd like to add? If people are interested, especially if people are healthcare workers, we are doing sessions online with healthcare workers in which they tell us a recent dream that they have had. And uh, we, we had a um, we had a, a key worker delivery driver from America a few weeks back. We've had people working at hospitals around the world. And if you would like to discuss a dream, just do contact us. And also, as part of the sessions, you then get given this work of art, which is the painting of the dream and uh, that then is something that you can 
display and discuss with family and friends. So that's all on the dreamsid.com website. And Dreams ID stands for Dreams Illustrated and Discussed. That was my chat with Professor Mike Blaygrove from Swansea University's Sleep Laboratory. And as he explained, sharing our dreams can actually be good for us. So check out the links that he mentioned. And if you want to share some of the more entertaining dreams that you've had, you can tweet us at LaudablePods or follow us on Instagram, where we are at Laudable underscore podcasts. Thanks, Dan. Now, there are some of us out there who are thinking, it's all well and good talking about dreams. That would be an absolute luxury. I struggle to get to sleep every night. Insomnia can be a waking nightmare for those who suffer from it. Alone Together's Morven McIntyre speaks to Dr. Megan Crawford, a sleep researcher at the University of Strathclyde, about those who have trouble sleeping and what they can do to help. So, hi, Megan, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Megan, a lot of your research has been about um, insomnia, which is a sleep disorder where people have trouble sleeping. What does your research show? So up until now, until now, I haven't really done anything, obviously, in terms of, of coronavirus and the impact that this lockdown has had on sleep. But there are current studies and current research projects that are ongoing, uh, including one from the Strathclyde uh, University uh, in the psychology uh, department um, and with some of the researchers from the sleep research unit looking at uh, some of the positive changes of the lockdown uh, on various aspects, including sleep. So potentially some people might actually be getting more sleep uh, and are less sleep restricted. Um, so we're trying to, the sleep research unit is trying to understand um, the impact of, of, of that on sleep. Um, but my research to date has really focused on trying to understand how we can treat insomnia when it co-occurs with another condition. Um, and my main focus really has been on uh, chronic migraines. So a lot of people who experience chronic migraines will have difficulty sleeping for very obvious reasons, um, mainly because of the pain. Um, but the thing that's coming out of my research is, is that it's the main treatment that we have, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, uh, it's like a sort of talking therapy or psychotherapy, it does actually work quite well. Um, to, to treat the insomnia, even if it co-occurs in other conditions. So we're pretty early on in that research, but it seems to be the case that insomnia is, is treatable even if it co-occurs with, with chronic migraines. Um, so that's kind of been my main, main area of research to date. And I know you mentioned that you um, haven't yet finished uh, doing your research on insomnia and coronavirus, but um, for a lot of people, this lockdown has meant great uncertainty and therefore stress. So is there a correlation then between tr- stress and trouble sleeping? Yeah, I mean, certainly so. And that's, that's kind of really the way that we mainly understand how insomnia develops. So there are different pathways and there are some people for whom uh, there isn't a real obvious stressor. But for the majority of cases that were individuals who experience insomnia, there is an ad- identifiable stressor or, or some life event. So losing your job or having a baby or, um, uh, you know, death of a family member. And so a lot of these things, uh, of course, are coming together in this current pandemic. Um, and, and it's obviously a huge uh, life event uh, for, for all of us. Um, and so what happens usually when we experience these, these life, major life events that are stressors 
is that our body reacts in a certain way um, and it is kind of a biological um, response to that stressor and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's actually a good thing that's happening. Um, so our, our body kind of wraps up, um, our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases, our pupils dilate, all these things happen so that we can decide what to do in that stressful situation. And that's fine if it kind of happens on a short-term basis, um, uh, but um, if it happens on a chronic basis, and that is difficult because it causes, it can cause uh, sleep problems in the long term. Um, so these kind of ramping up of the system, of the bodily system, means that uh, sleep doesn't occur. It's harder to, to come. Um, and that makes sense, right? Because if you're experiencing a stress of the last thing that you want to fall asleep. Um, but the problem is that that can then uh, occur on, on a chronic basis. And people then start to engage in certain coping mechanisms to help cope with that initial sleep loss. And we think these coping mechanisms, uh, these behaviors that people engage in, uh, cause even further problems. It's kind of like a vicious cycle. Um, so people start to try and catch up on their sleep by lying in in the morning, napping during the day, or going to bed too early. And these things can make sleep even more difficult. You talked a bit there about uh, coping mechanisms. So that's one of the things that people can do sometimes when they're not sleeping too well. But if people are struggling, with sleep, is there anything from your research that could be useful for our listeners that they can do? Yeah, I mean that's the encouraging thing is if you know that um, these coping mechanisms or these behaviours are the things that are disrupting your sleep, then you can change those. Uh, so we call we talk about these things as modifiable risk factors. So behaviour is something that we can change, whereas something like personality or, or biological sex isn't something that we can change. Um, and so knowing that there are behaviors that you can change is, is actually a good thing and very kind of powerful for the individual to know. So I guess in, in this current context, some of the main things that I've already talked about uh, will be sort of amplified. So um, people, if they're not getting enough sleep, if they lie in in the morning, they're going to have opportunity to do that seven days a week because people aren't going to work. They don't have a schedule to get up for uh, or some people um, in certain cases. Um, people have the opportunity to nap during the day, seven days a week. Um, they uh, have the opportunity to go to bed earlier <clears throat> because there are certain things that you don't have to do in the evening um, and the routine is, is kind of disrupted. I should also say that napping per se isn't, isn't particularly a bad thing. A short nap early in the day can actually be quite helpful in terms of increasing our mood um, and reducing our sleepiness. But some research indicates that if the naps are too late in the day and too long, then it can make it difficult to then fall asleep at night. Um, and likewise, if you sleep in in the morning, then um, you might not be ready at the same time in the evening to go to sleep. And that kind of just puts everything off kilter a little bit. So what, one of the things then to avoid during this lockdown, um, and especially as in preparation for coming out of this lockdown, and getting back into a routine is to, uh, to, to not ideally not nap um, or keep the naps very short and early in the day. Uh, to not lie in, but to get up at the same time every day. Uh, set an alarm even if you don't have to. And try not to go to bed if you're not sleepy. So try not to go to bed just because you didn't sleep well the previous night. So those are some of the key things. And then the other thing that hopefully now will be a little bit easier to do is to get outside and get some exposure to bright light. 
So our our internal body clock uh, regulates when we go to sleep and when we're awake. So awake during the day when it's light and bright, um, and we're asleep at night when it's dark. That kind of synchronization of that uh, rhythm um, is is set by uh, the day the light dark cycle. Um, and so it's helpful if we get up early in the morning, get out, expose ourselves to very bright sunlight, uh, even if it's overcast, there's enough light um, to, to reset our body clock every day and to help that cycle uh, stay uh, the same every day. If we don't, and if we stay inside too much and we don't expose ourselves to light, we don't give our body the cues that it needs in order to understand when to sleep and when to, to be awake get out early in the morning and get some bright light. And you mentioned uh, a sleep routine there. So you mentioned things like avoiding having naps later in the day, making sure you get up at a similar time each day, exposing yourself to sunlight. But um, is there any research about the another thing that we're always told is not to look at our phones before bed, not to sort of look at screens. Is that also something that you should stray away from before bed? Should you, for example, are there any do's and don'ts before bed that there are things that you yeah. shouldn't be doing? Yeah, uh, a couple of different reasons. One of the re- one reasons is the same one that I mentioned just now is that light uh, that is emitted from our phones or our screens um, actually gives the body the cue to be awake. So if we do that shortly before bedtime, then we're giving our body the cue to be awake and not to be asleep, which is what we want. Um, so that's one reason why to, why it's best to avoid bright screens um, in the evening or just before bedtime. Um, the other reason is that it can be, you know, depending on what you're doing, if you're reading, you know, if you're using a Kindle and, uh, you know, reading a, an ebook or something like that, then it's, it's probably not very arousing information. But if you're sitting on your phone, you're going through Twitter, or you're looking through the news, uh, you know, and some of the information that's there, especially related to the pandemic, can be. Uh, quite emotionally upsetting and stressful and so that that in itself can lead to that fight or flight response that isn't conducive to sleep we usually encourage people to have a certain wind down time and do something relaxing like reading a book or or listening to music or something like that um, before bedtime that's usually quite helpful um, the other thing to talk to say is that it's usually quite helpful to have some scheduled worry time during the day um, so if people find themselves um, unable to fall asleep because they're worried and, and, and have kind of this racing, we talk about racing mind. One of my patients, or not patients, there's a participant in a research study um, talked about Red Bull brain. <laughs> so that really great, accurately captures what's going on. And, and I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that. Your brain is just kind of, you're just so wired um, and it's really difficult to fall asleep in that time. So what can be really helpful is to have some scheduled worry time during the day maybe about 20 minutes, and just to kind of, even if you had a notebook or something, to just write down some, some thoughts and some ideas um, and, and, and some anxieties that you're having um, so that you know that if you're lying in bed at night or any other time during the day and these thoughts pop up, you can say, well, I, I'm going to table that for my worry time and I'm not going to think about it now. And a really useful thing to remember that I always tell everybody is that at night, the areas of the brain um, that are involved in decision-making and planning are actually less active. And uh, the brain areas, the brain regions that are involved in emotion processing, emotion regulation are actually very active. So if you have some problem that you're trying to solve or 
some concerns that you have, your brain actually isn't set up to deal with that problem. And so that kind of wise tale of sleep on it and think about it in the morning is actually quite accurate there because your brain doesn't have the capacity to solve that problem. But it might be actually counterproductive because you're going to be reacting emotionally to it. So it's really good to have that worry time during the day. No, that's interesting. Um, I've not heard that before, actually, but I suppose setting aside time too. I like the idea of writing things down in a in a notepad or, you know, maybe putting them on your phone notes or something like that, where you can just have one place to store that and sometimes putting pen to paper or typing something out. You can then just kind of write it out, see it written down and then, like you say, park it there and not think about it later on. And you've mentioned, you know, in the past that there wasn't enough public discussion around sleep, um, you know, particularly sleep disorders. So why do you think it's important to talk about sleep? It's a good question. I mean, as, as sad as it is that the current situation is, is causing people, uh, people to have problems with their sleep, it's nice that, you know, for us to have, to, to kind of be at the forefront of things and, and to, to have media and people interested in sleep, there's a really uh, a famous quote by uh, one of the famous sleep researchers. He said something along the lines of, you know, we spend a third of our lives doing it. If sleep didn't have an absolute vital function, then it would be the biggest uh, evolutionary mistake um, or something along those lines. Um, so it's obvious that sleep is so important. And I think in the current situation, one thing to remember is that sleep is so important for our immune system. So during sleep, there are certain proteins that are released uh, called cytokines, and these cytokines uh, can help um, fight infection and reduce inflammation. Um, and so that obviously will, you know, pretend on this research to, to look into that. Um, I haven't seen any uh, results come out of these studies yet, but hopefully we'll know soon as to how sleep or, or better sleep quality might actually prevent um, uh, infection or or uh, actually speed up recovery. Um, so we know that from other um, um, sort of infection, uh, infections and, and other research in other areas. Uh, the other thing that I think is really key is that sleep today, well, until a few years ago, sleep is always seen as a sort of symptom of something else. So if you have another medical condition, like I was mentioning migraine, or if you have another psychological condition like depression, or something like cancer, uh, another medical condition, people uh, tended to say, you know, to react and say, well, of course you're not sleeping well, you've, you know, you've got cancer, you're going through this major life change, um, or of course you're not sleeping, you've, you're experiencing headaches on a daily basis. Um, so it, it's always kind of, it has been seen as sort of a secondary symptom of something else. And a lot of research is actually indicating now that, that poor sleep can actually be a predictor of, of some of these things. So, so typically, there's a lot of research showing that, that insomnia actually comes before depression. Uh, and part of that might be because the kind of emotional processing during sleep uh, isn't helping people uh, kind of regulate their emotions and, and deal with, with certain stresses and emotional uh, memories. That might be one potential pathway. Um, so we're discovering um, and people are recognizing the importance of sleep. Yeah, it's, I know what you're saying there. You're saying that um, not being able to sleep really is just something that can then spiral out and cause other issues. So it's really important that 
um, sleep is at you know the forefront of what's a priority in our lives and should be something that is valued and not just something that's kind of not really discussed. Exactly. For those listeners um, who who have experienced a poor night's sleep, uh, know how debilitating it can be. You know, it's really hard to function during the day if you haven't had a good night's sleep. And so, if you imagine, I mean, I've spoken to individuals who who've experienced problems with their sleep for. 30, 40, 50 years, you know, and so to think about that is it's hard to imagine how to, how they get through the day and how they function. No, definitely. Um, and uh, and so I think that's another reason why it, it, it is so important to talk about it. No, that's great. Uh, well, thanks very much for your time today, Megan. That was really insightful. That's great. Thank you very much for having me again and talking about sleep, giving sleep some airtime. <laughs> We hope that our interviews have been fascinating and helpful. Now it's time to wish you a good night and a good rest before we switch off the light. So thank you to our guests and thank you for listening to our podcast. Stay safe, stay positive, stay informed, stay tuned. This has been a laudable production from the newsrooms of Birmingham Live, the Edinburgh Evening News and the Manchester Evening News. You can download Alone Together wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, immersive and interactive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. And you can keep in touch with me, Matt and Morvin, by following Laudable on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, or by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts on Instagram. See you next time, and don't have nightmares, do sleep well. <laughs>